I think I should be on now. All right, well, if you have your copy of God's Word with you, I would encourage you to um, join me in reading of, um, turning with me to 1 Chronicles 29. I'll be reading verses 10 through 22. Um, I titled this sermon, God is Worthy to be Blessed. I feel like oftentimes we uh, sing songs or post on Facebook about how great God is, but do we really know how great he is. So in this sermon, we'll first see David blessing God and why he blesses him. Then we will look at how great God is and finish with the glorious truth that God uses the unworthy. So if you have um, your Bible with me and want to join with me as I read God's word. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in his presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are the power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and your own have we given you. For we are, the, we are strangers before you, and sojourners, as our fathers were, our days on the earth, are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house, for your holy name, comes from your hand, and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart, and have pleasure in the uprighteousness. In the uprighteousness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen you, your people, who are present here. Offering freely and joyously to you, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people, and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the, the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly bless the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs, with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord, and on that day with great gladness. Now join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you and I am. Just thank you so much, Lord, for the blessings you give us. Lord, I thank you for just um, allowing me to be here and to speak from your word. I thank you for your word, Lord. Um, for we do not deserve to even have a copy of it, Lord, but you've granted it to us so that we can uh, read from it and learn from it and preach from it and to teach from it, Lord, and that we can grow in our relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, through it. So I pray as we take a look at these, this passage, Lord, that we um, 
can grow in your in knowledge of you and that we can um, learn how to bless you because you are truly worthy of our blessing. And I ask that your words be said, not my own, for they are inspired in my own I ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So before we dive into this text tonight, I want to I want I think it's important to understand the context of it. So the first nine verses of this chapter are concerning the building of the temple. Solomon had just received the privilege to, of, of being responsible of building the temple. Then it goes on talking about all the materials and funds for the building of the temple that were provided. So I will discuss why this is important here in a minute. Um, verse 10 starts off with David blessing the Lord. If you were to think about it, when was the last time you blessed the Lord? Some of you are probably going, well, you know, I was on my way to work the other day, and uh, the song, Blessed Be Your Name, came on the radio, and I'll tell you what, I sang it so loud, um, but in reality, it probably wasn't very recently that you blessed the Lord, was it? But the last time you asked God to bless you was probably much more recently. Some of us might have even cursed God more recently than we have blessed him. It is often much easier to ask God to bless us than it is to think to bless God. I mean, don't we often find ourselves asking God to bless us and our families? I am personally guilty of doing it. There's nothing wrong with asking God for blessings, but we are more focused on blessings for selfish reasons instead of God-glorifying reasons. We start to get ourselves in trouble. We love to ask God to bless us, our family, and friends, but often forget to bless God in return. I feel as if it is important to know what it means to bless God. Personally, I find myself asking the same question. With God being as great as he is, how can me, who is a lowly human, bless God? I even do this little thing when I'm asked to bless the food before eating, where I say, well, I'll ask Jesus to bless it. It's just the idea that I have no ability to bless something. Let's first look at what it means to bless in general. One scripture we can see, when God is the blesser and man is the receiver, man often is given something of benefit. For example, the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. There are wonderful rewards that come with those blessings. Rewards such as the kingdom of heaven, comfort from mourning, inheriting the earth, satisfaction for the hungry and thirsty, mercy, seeing God, and being made children of God. Those are all great rewards that God gives us through blessings. I see parents often posting things about how their children are blessings. Sometimes they might say they are curses, but most of the time they talk about how their children are a blessing from God. Or I see spouses posting how that they are thankful God blessed them with a wonderful husband or a wonderful wife. I think most of us understand what it means to be blessed by God, but what exactly does it mean to bless God? Are we able to give God, give something to God? Is there anything that I could possibly offer to God that he doesn't already have? Does God need something from us? These are all questions that I ask myself when thinking about the concept of me, a sinful human, blessing an infinite, holy creator of the universe. If we were to look at the Hebrew word used in verse 10 for blessed, it is the word barak. The word barak comes from the noun barak, which means knee, like the body part. So barak can mean to kneel 
or to bless. Oftentimes, when one kneels before something else, it is out of respect or adoration towards the one they are kneeling before. Also, the Hebrew word for worship literally means to fall down before. One might kneel before God out of an act of worship or praise. So when man is the object of Barak, is referring to man receiving a benefit, but when God is the object of the word, it is an act of adoration. The definition would make a lot more sense, especially with the following three verses. David blesses God through prayer and praise and adoration of how wonderful God is. So if we want to bless God, then we should do the same. So we just discussed what it means for a human to bless God. Now we will look at why David blesses God. David had just received the news that he would not be able to be responsible for the building of the temple um, and that his son would be in charge of it being built. For most of us, including myself, these seem like things that if they were happening in our lives, we wouldn't really think to bless God, especially with, the death, with his death being involved. One thing I re realized in life about death is death will do one of two things. It will either bring someone closer to God, or it will make them stray further away from God. So it could have been really easy for David to have wanted to complain to God, or to question God's control, but that is not um, the response he gave to the situation he was experiencing. So what, so what exactly is David blessing God for? This is where the context I'm, I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon comes into importance. I mentioned how all of these people had donated everything necessary for the building of the temple. That can be found particularly in verses 6 and 9 of the same chapter, and let me read them here for you. Then the leaders of the fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes. The commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work, they gave for the services of the house of God 5,000 talents of silver and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 18, talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. In the care of Jehiel the Gershonite, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. We can see with this that so many people, even people of high status in the nation, so willing for, willfully just gave to the building of the house of the Lord. When I say gave, I mean gave. We just read that what was given, and it was no small amount for anyone to give. These people made sacrifices for the Lord and for the, for the building of this house. So why, why exactly then does David bless the Lord for this generous act of giving that was done by other people? Why doesn't David just bless the givers themselves? I mean, oftentimes that is what we do, isn't it? When someone is, does something for us, we tend to bless them, correct? For example, when helping out an elderly lady by maybe mowing her yard or shoveling her sidewalk and driveway so she can get out of her house and leave, then we get done, they like to give you the response. Well, bless your little heart. Has, has that ever happened to any of you? Often, when someone gives their services, we tend to bless them. But David did something that probably wasn't very expected at this time. 
David blessed the Lord for giving these people the ability and desire to give with a willful heart. David did not see a generous act done by humans here. David saw the providence of God being acted out among the people. I love what Piper says concerning the, this verse when he says, There were no miracles done here. God wasn't doing anything supernatural or something out of the ordinary. He was solely granting these men hearts that were willing to give. Giving is something that might not come very easy for some of us, and I can guarantee that I would personally would not be willing to give as generously as these men if it wasn't for the Lord granting me with a heart that is much more pure than what it was before it was made new. So church, the beloved of Christ, my hope and prayer for you is that you and myself can start seeing the hand of God in everything that goes on in our lives. It can often be hard to do um, so with all these things going on to the world today. I mean, look at the president we just elected, and, um, we, and we keep seeing these laws that our country keeps passing. But trust me when I say this, church, God is still present in all that is going on, and he is still sovereign. So let us take comfort in that fact, and let that cause us to pray more often. With that being said, it leads me to my next point which is how great God is. We will, we will be able to see that there are so many reasons to take comfort in the sovereignty of God from these next few verses. So take a look with me at verses 11 through 13. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom of the Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are the power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O oh God, and praise your glorious name. Now that right there sounds like a God that I want to worship and find refuge in. Not one I want to deny and try to stand against. In some of the minor prophets, they record God saying, Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. Wouldn't that be terrifying words to hear, especially after reading what we just read about the Lord of hosts? This is a God that I would much rather be on the side of than to stand against. Something I love about these verses is how elaborate they are concerning God. Have you ever been asked the question, who is God, or how would you describe God? I know I have, and most of you, if not all of you, have been asked those questions as well. So next time you're asked, you can go, let me take you to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. When I was looking for a passage to preach, I read these three verses and thought, these are the ones. We often miss out on so much when we forget to preach the glorious passages of scripture, such as this one. Many times we sit in churches that preach so much about man and so little bit about God that we miss out on how great God truly is. We hear so much of what I like to call the Home Depot faith. You can do it, and Jesus can help. This is why I desire to preach this text, because I don't want anyone leaving here tonight thinking they worship a small God. I'm here to tell you that if you worship the God of this Bible, you worship a huge God. So let us take a look at those three verses I just read and see how great our God truly is. In these verses, David lists over ten attributes of God 
None of these attributes would lead one to think we have a small God. Verse 11 starts off with something that might sound very familiar to some of you. It is believed to be where some Bible translations add the extra ending to the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6:13, which reads, For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That was from the King James Version. That sounds very familiar to what David said in verse 11. He mentioned all the same things concerning God. David starts off with saying, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. David does not want the assembly or anyone else to think the greatness belongs to him or to those who gave. He wants it to be made very clear that God is one, the one responsible because he is great, not us. This is a very humbling statement for David to make and ultimately exalted God in the process. David understood that greatness lies solely in the hand of the Lord. In, in church, the God that possesses all greatness is the God we worship today. Take comfort in that fact. It is the same with the next things mentioned that God possesses. It says, in yours is the power. Church, we worship a God who is not only greater than all other things, but we worship a God who is all-powerful. The God we worship is the God who rescued the Israelites from Egypt, and the God who is rescuing us from our sin today through the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ. This God, this God is all-powerful. He makes man-made gods crumble and makes the devil who wants our soul tremble at his voice and his words. Church, take comfort in the fact that we worship and serve a God who is all-powerful. We should not cower, cower away from our fear or daily situations that we face because we serve a God who is more, more powerful than all of us. The next thing we see is that we worship a glorious God. We do not worship a God who is made by human hands or one who is dependent on us. We worship one who is glorious and is worthy of our worship. A God who is victorious and majestic, as we see ne in, next in verse 11. Our God is not a God who can be defeated, but one who is victorious. And as Paul says in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors to him who loves us. I probably sound like a broken record by now, but church, please take comfort in these truths. Next thing seen in these verses is that everything belongs to God. Everything in heaven and on earth belongs to him. God is not only all-powerful, but he has access and possession of all things. John 1 tells us that nothing came into existence apart from him. God created all things, and all things belong to him. So when we give to God, we are only giving back to God what is already his. David continues on in his list and says, Yours is the kingdom of the Lord. And you are exalted, head above all. Then in verse 12 he says, you rule over all. Our God is no servant to any king or subject to any rule but himself. That is why Jesus told Pilate that he would have no authority over him unless it had been given to him from above. Even um, for God is the king and he rules as head over all. Even the devil is under the rule of God. A man named R.C. Sproul once said, If I thought, even for one moment, that a single molecule were running loose in the universe, outside the control and domain of Almighty God, I wouldn't sleep at night. Well, church, I have good news for you. We can all sleep tonight, because there's no single molecule running loose from the control of the Almighty God. 
we can see that truth made clear in this text. Now I want to look at one more section of these verses before moving on. So look with me at the end of verse 12, where it reads, In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. I want to make note that the same hand that holds power and might mentioned in this text is the same hand mentioned in John 10 that holds every believer of Jesus Christ. Now, if that isn't something to take joy and comfort in, I don't really know what is. I also want to make mention that all these attributes we just read and talked about are attributes of every person of the Trinity. The Father does not have part of these, the Son a few of them, and the Spirit gets the rest. That's not how it works. The Father contains all of these things, as well as the Son, and as well as the Holy Spirit. It is awesome to know that the Father who sent the Son is all of those things, and the Son who died for our atonement is all of these things, and the Spirit that guides us day by day is also all of those things. That is such a wonderful truth. So we just discussed at how great God is. Now let us take a look at the glorious truth that such a great and wonderful God like that uses the unworthy. If you look at verse 14, we see that truth very clearly. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things can come from you, and your own have we given you. In David's prayer, he fully understands he, who he is and that he is nowhere near worthy enough to be able to offer anything to God. Even a man after God's own heart and someone who had many great qualities understood that him and the people of Israel had no worth to be able to give to a holy God. He understood that his depravity outweighed his righteousness. He must also, we must also never be prideful enough to think that we are worthy to give something to God. This is why it is such a glorious truth that God uses the unworthy for his purpose and to bring himself to glory. This is why it is an amazing truth to know that the Father will willingly sent his Son, who willingly died on the cross, so that the Spirit will willingly apply the Son's atonement to those who would one day believe. God does not need to use any of us, but he chooses to use us. He chooses to use us not because of who we are, but solely because of who he is. God even offered, oftentimes chooses those whom we would think um, least likely for him to choose and uses them to show how great he truly is. This truth is so glorious because we are just like David and the people mentioned in this passage. We are unworthy, but we can praise God today because he still uses us and he redeems us. Now that we looked at David's blessing the Lord and why he blessed him, how great our God truly is, and the wonderful truth that God uses the unworthy, what does that mean to all of us? How should we respond to this text and passage? Um, besides the fact that we should also try to bless God and to worship him for how great he truly is, we can find application straight from the text. So if you would, draw your attention to verses 20 and 22 of this chapter. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly bless the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads, and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs. With their drink offerings and sacrifices, in abundance for all Israel, and they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. 
The scripture here makes it very clear what we should do in response to all of this. When the Lord blesses us, let us find ourselves blessing him through worship. David and all the assembly bless God, and we should as well. When the Lord gives to us, we should return the favor by giving back to him. When we are granted the ability to do things that we would not have ever been able to do apart from God, we shall give them to God. David just got done praising and blessing the Lord, so graciously giving to wicked giving to wicked people who were unworthy the gift. And what his what was his response? He called the assembly to bless God. God gave to them, so they gave back to God through their offerings and their sacrifices. How often do we take blessings from God and use them for self selfish reasons? How often when we receive paychecks from our jobs, which are blessings from God, do we use our money, which is also a blessing from God, for our own glory and not for God's? I have personally been guilty of doing the same, for it is so much easier to want to spend money on a new pair of shoes than it is to give that money to a mission trip that is going to supply kids with shoes who don't have any at all. We would much rather keep our blessings than to give them back to the blesser. David and all the assembly realized that although they gave the gifts to the up to the building of the temple, that it was still God blessing them with the ability to do so. I pray that we let not our blessings from God be used only for ourselves, but we use, but we use them to give back to the blesser himself. Which is why I love what A.W. Pink says when he says this, Instead of a river, God often gives us a brook, which may be running today and dried up tomorrow. Why? To teach us not to rest in our blessings, but the blesser himself. God gives, a, gives so that we, God gives so that we will bring our focus to Him, not that, not that what He has given to us. Let us be reminded of that truth whenever we receive a blessing. Next, I want our question after receiving a blessing from God to be, God, how can I use what You have given to me for Your glory? I don't want it to be, how can I use this to make myself look better than others, or how can I gain something from this blessing? Let us use our gifts for the glory of God. Our response to this text should be exactly like David's response. It should draw us to worship God and to desire to glorify him in our daily lives. I want to close it with one more thing and then pray. So I want to ask you the question, what is preventing you from blessing God? Are you afraid to let selfish things go? I know from the text we just read that it's not because God isn't worthy of our blessing. If we are not blessing God through our giving or worship, it is on us, not on him. So let us pray.